Good morning. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for coming and joining together to practice this precious practice that we have, the Dharma, which we can practice anywhere, but something is really ignited when we practice in community. It's important to do. We're finishing, like I said, a week of investigating death. Uh, This Sashin we do every year. So Sashin is a week of silent meditation retreat. And our Sashin tend to have themes. So this week, week, this month, we were uh, investigating death, like I said. And there's an image on the altar right now of the reclining Buddha. And that image uh, depicts the Buddha at the time of the Buddha's death. It's called the Parinirvana statue. And so in February, in the Zen tradition, is when we acknowledge the Buddha's passing. And the Buddha's passing is, is called his Parinirvana. It's also sometimes translated as unbinding. You can see, you can come up later if you want and just... Uh, take note of the facial expression on the Buddha's face as the Buddha was passing. One of ease, it looks like, peace. So in, um, in Buddhism or in Zen practice, we look directly at the realities of life. And in our culture, modern culture, Death seems to be pretty hidden, hidden from the everyday. People die in hospitals or in homes, but rarely at home, sometimes. And we're afraid of old age. We try to hide it. But in Buddhism, we look directly at, oh, this body, this body that we have is, is changing. Sometimes it gets sick. Sometimes it gets injured. Sometimes it, it will age. <laughs> and that is a great letting go, I'm told. <laughs> Experiencing little pieces of that. That's why we co-led this retreat. <laughs> And it will die. We will die. And no matter how old we are, that's, that's true. So sometimes we're reminded when someone in our lives who's younger pass away or a friend of a friend has a child who passes away. But it's true that any, any moment we could die on the drive home. Could be an accident be an earthquake, there could be a heart attack. Even young people have heart attacks. So uh, the Buddha has a teaching called the Five Remembrances, which what the Buddha taught to uh, his disciples to recite, to remember these realities of life. And Soten set 
the five remembrances to music and retranslated them a little bit. And we're going to offer this rendition. And those of you who are in session, feel free to join in. We'll sing it three times. Get 
to grow old. I am made to suffer illness. Health is not what I am. to me and everyone I love come to change. Death will find them too. Our deeds are the ground on which we stand. My deeds are the ground on which I stand. contemplating death, really being in touch with the impermanence of life can bring us into a deep appreciation of this life. Chosen was asking this question that comes from a koan, are you dead or are you alive? <coughs> alive or dead? And how many time, how much of our lives are we walking around half dead, half dead to our environment, our relationships, half dead to this miracle of a body, of breathing, half dead at work. What does it mean to be alive? to be fully alive. How do you give life to your life? These are all essential questions that we took up this week and hopefully will continue to take up day after day, moment after moment. Though we had a number of exercises and guided meditations that we leaned into during this retreat to help us in the contemplation of death, of life. And I'd like to offer one right now. So please uh, find yourself in a meditative posture if you'd like.
And become aware of the body. You can close your eyes if that's helpful. First, just feel the structure of the body, the pressure of the legs or feet on the floor, the contact points the body is making with the sitting supports, cushion, bench, chair. Feel the length of the body, the upright spine, the top of the head. The width of the body, the limbs, shoulders. Depth of the body. Come aware of the entire body sitting right here. Now bring your attention to the surface of the body, the skin, this bag of skin that holds us together in some way, surrounds the body, protects the body. Imagine dissolving your skin, dissolving your skin and your hair. So you're sitting now as a meat body, the muscles and flesh exposed, organs, blood vessels, nerves and bone. Feel what it's like to sit without skin. So much of our identity is on this surface level, how we look. what our skin looks like, what our hair looks like. Who are you without your skin? Perhaps open your eyes and look around at the other bodies here and imagine without skin ways we compare ourselves to others. Where does that go? When people no longer have skin. We'll go further in the dissolution process. So now imagine your muscles dissolving muscles and flesh. Muscles, flesh, and organs. 
dissolve the blood vessels, nerves, lymph, dissolve all the way down to the skeleton. Includes dissolving the brain, eyeballs, tongue. All the way down to the skeleton. Feel into your bones. A deep depth of silence in the bones. Imagine sitting here just as a skeleton, completely exposed. Perhaps you feel light, lighter. Sit in your bones. Let the wind blow through your bones. Does this skeleton have an age? In 100 years, what would this skeleton look like? If you notice the mind churning out thoughts, who do these thoughts refer to? If you're a skeleton without brain, where do these thoughts come from? How do you know they're yours? In 100 years, who do these thoughts pertain to? Distant voices. Like the sound of the wind. Again, open your empty eye sockets and see that you can still see. And look at the other skeletons in this room. What is it like to see people as their skeletons? See the bones that we all are, that we all contain. How much extra extra do we put on each other? Thank you for engaging with that meditation. As you can see, it has a lot of potential. You could take it on the bus with you or as you're driving at work. 
imagining, feeling into yourself as a skeleton, which is very, very deep meditation practice to touch into the, the deep stillness within the body, to sit as your bones. And then to imagine these bones a hundred years from now, how relevant are the current thoughts and judgments that we have about our body, about our life, Will those continue? And then to see how dissolving other people into their skeleton can actually change the way you relate to them, which is interesting. Notice how much we project onto each other just based on look alone. You get the snap judgment of somebody based on they have a beard they looked at me in a funny way thank you We spent time doing each of these meditations and really looking at the implications. So if you just dissolve skin, what happens to aversion? What happens to prejudice? What happens to desire? And then as you further dissolve, what happens to all of your judgments about your body, as Kisei mentioned? And you get down to the essence. This practice is about the essence. Those of you who are new, you, this is kind of a strange introduction. <laughs> we do this once a year. <laughs> but the... Um, the fundamentals are the same. So you notice on the altar there's a skeleton. And that's a tradition in Southeast Asia, Thailand, Cambodia. Often people will <laughs> donate their bodies after death to the temple. And then it's put by the altar just as a constant reminder of this is where we're all headed. Which um, can be helpful. Actually, Ajahn Amaro told me that uh, one of the skeletons he saw in Thailand had a bullet hole in the head. Maybe suicide. But the skeleton lived on and was helping people with their practice. Also on the altar uh, in, the, in the Buddha's hands is a little white a box which contains some of the bones of my teacher, Maizumi Roshi, who came from Japan at 29, not really speaking English, uh, inspired by the, actually the kindness of American soldiers at the end of World War II, because they had been told that Americans were cannibals or you know, would murder and rape everybody. And actually, their experience was that they were kind. At that time, um, you know, with the Marshall Plan after World War II and so on, we, we often quickly turned our enemies into people that we could help. 
So he came to America wanting with a vow that he would plant the roots of Dharma in this country so deeply that they would never die out. So it's an interesting question, this alive or dead. It comes from a koan in which two Zen masters, a, a younger younger monk and, a, and his teacher, go to a house to pay condolences because someone there has died. And the younger one knocks on the uh, on the on the coffin, three times, knock knock knock, and says, "Alive or dead?" And then they like these challenges, you know. And uh, the, his teacher says, "I won't say. I won't say." And the and the student is really upset about that. Why won't he give me an answer? <clears throat> and then later, as he lives more of life, he comes to a realization, and he's grateful for the compassion of his teacher and not answering the question. Because no answer that someone else gives us will truly satisfy us. We have to find the answers to our most profound questions, which have to do with life and death, for ourselves. That is the only thing that will satisfy. The five remembrances may seem a little uh, macabre, uh, but they, and also the Four Noble Truths, that to live as a human being is to suffer, to experience stress, distress, pain. It's just true. And most people try, if they don't have the alternative of a practice, try over-the-counter remedies. So I heard on NPR, maybe a week ago, uh, it was a storytelling episode, and this woman was telling the story of her preteen years. And her mother had become addicted to Sims. People know what Sims is, where you can, okay, Sims is where you can construct a reality on your <laughs> computer. And so you, people, you can create a city or a farm or whatever you want, whatever scene you want where your people will live, and then you pick the people, and you dress them, and you name them, and then you can move them around and have things happen to them according to what you'd like to do with them. It's a little like playing God, you know? It's like, oh. So this, this mother was so addicted to the alternative reality of Sims that she completely neglected her daughter, and her daughter would come home from school, and her daughter then had to do all the chores because the mother didn't have time to do any of the housework or cook anything except hours and hours and hours and hours a day playing Sims. <clears throat> and she, her mother finally left her bedroom and put a pallet next to the computer table and slept there so that every waking moment she could play Sims. And uh, the daughter finally, uh, one night, while her mother was sleeping right there, went in and set fires in the, <laughs> in the house <laughs> where she, as, as a very neat, neatly dressed, you know, like pleated skirt and bobbed dark hair. And so she was really interested in how her mother had portrayed her in, in The Sims, uh, which was very different from how she was. Um, and so she burned the whole thing down. And um, the whole world, you know, <laughs> And uh, the only one left, the only character was left, was the daughter. <laughs> so 
it was obvious who the guilty one was. <laughs> and the next day, she came home from school, and her mother was reconstructing this world. Yeah. So I thought it was really a very clear example of how we try to, we recognize our suffering, we recognize the pain of not only our, our suffering, but the suffering in the world, which we're all sharing with now. People in retreat don't know what's happened with the coronavirus epidemic, which may become pandemic and has spread to all kinds of countries. doesn't seem that we can contain it. Um, so that, you know, if we have a heart, that makes us suffer. Uh, all those stories of what's happening. Um, you know, so many stories, that's just one that's in the headlines right now. So <clears throat> when our heart feels the pain of our own suffering and the suffering in the world, we can, we can close down and just go into some kind of over-the-counter remedy, numb, numb ourselves. <clears throat> so it could be alcohol, it could be drugs, it could be eating, could be Sims, or video games, or um, you know, sexual addiction, <clears throat> lots of ways to try to numb ourselves. And it doesn't work. And you're here because you know it doesn't work. Because you, you want to go, however painful it is, into the distress, the fear that lies underneath all of our pain. <clears throat> and the most deepest fear is the fear of death. Not only our own death, which at certain points in our life when we're really miserable, we might welcome, but the death of all those we love and the disappearance of everything that we've tried to cling to as a kind of life raft. And underneath, we know it doesn't work. When I was doing a retreat in Alaska once, there was a young man there, and he told me that when he was seven, he was playing on the front lawn and he found a dead bird and he was holding it in his hands. And suddenly, in a flash, he had an insight that everything was going to die. And, and it, 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 it wasn't that he was going to die that really hit him. It was that his favorite uncle was going to die. Everyone was going to die, including his favorite uncle. And he began crying and he couldn't stop crying for several days and his parents didn't know what was wrong. And I think there are children like that, more children like that, who realize very early the truth that the Buddha taught and don't know what to do with it. And so become depressed or angry, reactive, uh, withdrawn. So he, as a child, looked around and said, like, how do I cope with this truth? And, And he watched adults and... He, he thought, okay, maybe they can teach me about how to cope with this truth. And he realized, oh, they're pretending. Okay, I will pretend that I'm happy, like they are. You know, children often have are very clear-eyed and can see through the shams of adult life. So he said, okay, I see they're pretending and that's getting them through life, so I'll just pretend. So he lived that way into adulthood until he discovered Buddhism and he discovered the Four Noble Truths. Oh, everyone suffers. He said, whoa, oh, here's a religion that tells the truth. Okay, I'm for it. And he became a practitioner. So because the screen of denial is so opaque and thick, which 
can be helpful. We don't want to be afraid all the time that we're going to die. You know, afraid to get in the car. Now afraid to go on a Princess Line cruise. (laughs) Afraid to fly in an airplane. Afraid of Chinese people. You know, if you just watch it, like, that's what's in the news now, is, is terror around the world. You got to be nine feet from anybody, because they might, because you can get have the virus and not know it, because you might not be symptomatic. So everybody's got to. You're too close to me. Can I get? Right. So, in in Buddhism, we walk straight into that deep fear, and we really look at it piece by piece, like peeling off the skin. Okay, what happens? Peeling off the muscle, you know, that maybe we've worked so hard in the gym for, or the, you know, we've dieted for this hourglass Kardashian body. And, you know, we peel off the skin, and what have you got? Lumps of flesh. Oh, well, that is weird but relieving. (laughs) And suddenly prejudice disappears. You can't tell what race people are. You can't even barely tell their age if you take away hair and skin. And then we just, you know, keep dissolving. So this this practice is a lifeline. I don't know how people live a human life without this practice, frankly. I know, well, I do know how they live. Much unhappier. <laughs> That's perfect. Oh, time. (laughs) We're back in the realm of time. Okay. (laughs) In session, we also entered a a timeless realm where time just goes, like, ring the bell. And then then time goes like, whoa, they just started the period. Now it's the end. What happened? Mm -hmm. So we begin to question how the domination that time has on us, too. So please question. Please question and drop those questions into the pool of quiet mind that meditation can bring you to. Because when you drop those essential questions into this still pool of wide open, quiet awareness, they sink to the bottom down to where wisdom beyond wisdom, wisdom beyond skin, beyond culture, beyond age, eternal wisdom, lies, and it triggers something, and up comes your answer. Your answer for now. 